politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, scorned American taxpayers and all around flag loving Americans to the Conservative Review podcast here on this Thursday, September 12th. Um, Really enjoyed a lot of your feedback from our beautiful interview with Michelle Malkin. Um, Thank God she agreed to come on the show. I've been trying to get her forever. True Patriot. We had a really good show yesterday. If you haven't heard it yet, make sure you go to YouTube, subscribe to our CR page and listen to yesterday's special episode. That was episode 490. Today is 491. We're creeping ever closer to that magical anniversary, our 500th show. Um, I want to pick up on a lot of the themes we talked about. What does it mean to be a conservative on foreign policy, national security within the realm of this anniversary of 9-11 that we're talking about? What caused 9-11? What threats do we have after 9-11? What are our looming strategic threats? North Korea, China, Iran, Afghanistan, what to do, what not to do, juxtaposed to homeland, border, immigration, tall order. We're not going to cover it all in depth today. But one of the reasons why I think a lot of you enjoy this show is because we give you a steady eddy path of what we believe and whether you agree or disagree. And we have a, you know, somewhat of a diverse audience, mainly very conservative, but you know, all sorts of people tune in to listen. And I think a lot of you appreciate that we don't bend in the wind based on who is saying something. So I'm going to be the opposite, or I'm going to be only what he says. And we're not going to color our beliefs based on reactionary instincts and impulses to someone that we like saying something or we dislike saying something. Unfortunately, that is the time we live in a time of false dichotomies. And as we said yesterday, nowhere is this more apparent than when it comes to foreign policy and national security. Now, to begin with, we have a very, very weak movement on the right when it comes to any issue. No one's really giving a vision on anything. But I think intuitively, most people still know in a general sense what it means to be a conservative on traditional values and on economic issues. Even when it comes to immigration, I think most non-political elites fully understand that. But when it comes to foreign policy, military policy, military intervention, how that intersects with homeland security, national security, things get very murky. Because the truth is, it is very complicated. It's not a matter of, are you a dove or are you a hawk? Are you an interventionist or an isolationist? These are vapid terms that don't speak to our times. And I think the important thing that we try to do here is conjure up the broad principles of conservatism and really the broad principles of what it means to put Americans and America's national interest at you know first to the specific challenges and points of decision that confront us today. Right now, you hear a lot of noise about things Trump's doing and not doing on foreign policy. You hear a lot about Afghanistan. You hear a lot about him inviting or was going to invite the Taliban to negotiate at Camp David. You hear about the firing of 
John Bolton as national security advisor. And what that's done is it's created a lot of tribalism. Like, are you in the Tucker Carlson, Rand Paul camp? Or are you in the, the John Bolton camp? And then that's created a lot of false choices with a lot of people throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Well, well, I mean, there's Iran and Afghanistan are different stories. There's what tools we're going to use to fight our enemies. What is our enemy? What is our strategic interest? And then how are we going to fight it? Is that a military issue? Well, what sort of military force? For how long? To accomplish what? Is this a soft power issue? Is this more of a homeland issue like we discussed yesterday with most of the terrorism really being an immigration and a homeland network issue? And the problem that I am concerned about is that each one is feeding off of each other. And what we get is because there is no definitive conservative approach, the president is just drifting into the swamp. And I'm caught because... I don't agree with John Bolton on everything, <clears throat> but the problem is the direction the president is heading in, in my view, looks like he's throwing out the baby with the bathwater. In my view, John Bolton and some of his supporters are at fault for pushing the president in what I believe is very much a wrong direction because of a lot of their failures to get us involved in certain things we shouldn't be involved in. And therefore, now he's throwing out the baby with the bathwater. He wants to negotiate with Taliban, negotiate with Iran, negotiate with North Korea. Um, because rightly so, he's looked at the last 18 years of dumpster fires and says, look, I don't want any more trouble here. But... The problem people need to understand is that, in my view, both Tucker Carlson and John Bolton were wrong in certain areas. And I think, you know, my buddy jo Josh uh, Hammer at Daily Wire, um, he put out a piece that I think really captures this third way, which, you know, if I'd be so brazen to speak on behalf of most conservatives, I think really is the traditional conservative way. Mainly focus on the homeland, focus on the Muslim Brotherhood networks, getting rid of them here, shut down immigration from the Middle East, as much immigration as we can everywhere, really. We need to cool off more prudent immigration policies, um, focus on the cartels, the border, which also will counter Hezbollah and the other threats at our border. But then we do need to recognize that there still are threats in the world. The same way we recognize that there's evil that wants to come through immigration, there's evil even if we don't let in that in certain circumstances could affect eventually our homeland, but our shipping lanes, our interests overseas. And we have to understand which ones affect us and then what are the proper tools to counter them. And I think nobody has laid that out and that is the problem. And that's why we're caught with this situation where you know, it's too nuanced for me to even write an article on this. And this is why I haven't written any essays or columns on the firing of, of John Bolton, because I didn't agree with him on everything, but I did agree with him on some things. I don't like where the president's heading. And those like Tucker who are cheering his um, resignation or firing, the problem is what they don't realize is the things you didn't like about Bolton that's not going to change. You're going to get all of the vices of Bolton with the pacifist military industrial complex status quo 
foreign policy establishment crowd that chased him out. It wasn't a bunch of Tucker Carlson populist nationalists that chased him out. It was the swamp that chased him out. So my my memo to Tucker is we ain't pulling out of Afghanistan. You're going to still get the Afghanistan dumpster fire. You're going to get the Syria dumpster fire. You're going to get the Iraq dumpster fire, except he's just going to be weaker on Iran, weaker on North Korea and still ignore our border, which he is. Now, Trump has finally finally listened to us with some of the immigration law policies, thankfully. But look, you know, I have a column out today on how we could take the Supreme Court victory from last night to the next level. It's still half-baked. We talked about that a little bit earlier this week with this return to Mexico policy. Maybe we'll elaborate a little bit more tomorrow. But it's still half-baked. We're still well beyond where we were under the Obama administration. That is not a victory. That's not success from this administration. Um, That's getting us out of the hell that they got us into. And still, the cartels are worse than ever. And look, I myself have criticized Bolton for not viewing the border as enough of a national security priority. But I will tell you, he was more hawkish on immigration than anyone else, than Pompeo and the State Department guys who want to bring in endless refugees. So this is the false dichotomy when it comes to foreign policy mixed with homeland security and border, there's not two sides. There's like 10 different sides, 10 different permutations. Some people might agree with each other in a given theater or disagree with each other for for differing reasons. So you, you, you can't be lazy and fax this in on the cheap and like, well, I'm with Bolton, I'm with Tucker, I'm with Rand, I'm with, you know, well, we, we get too involved in too much stuff or we're not involved enough, so we need to do this. We don't want to look like we're cutting and running. These are all platitudes that we've worked for for long, a long time to really um, really cut through the grease. Now, we're not going to be able to do all that today, and I, and I referenced not just yesterday's show, episode 490, but episode uh, 326. Um, if you go back to just Google Conservative Review Podcast, Daniel Horowitz episode, 326. In fact, I'll put this up on the screen here that it was something like the true hawkish position on foreign policy. Where I believe that a lot of the Bolton crowd, some that some people might call neoconservatives, I think while I agree with them on some things, I think they have harmed their own case on being tough on Iran and North Korea, where I believe we do need to take a tough line that doesn't mean nation building and getting involved in a 20 year, you know, military conflict in a, in a combat zone. But I believe that both politically and strategically, as I said yesterday, they have harmed our position, their own position. And they've made a lot of people wary about being tough on anything. And I think that's, what's kind of pushing Trump into this, very scary mode of just going reverting back to Obama, literally Obama on both Iran and North Korea. That is my concern. So first, let's get to the critique of them. <clears throat> and then I'm going to get to the critique of kind of the other end of the spectrum, the whatever you want to call it, the crowd that's like, oh, we don't need any robust foreign policy, anything outside our border. Who cares? Iran's not bothering us. 
um, we don't need sanctions. Let's just let them do their own thing. And, you know, as long as we're not there, they're not going to bother us. Um, there's a very big difference between the Taliban in Afghanistan and Iran. Very big difference. So obviously the critique of, of um, <clears throat> Bolton and these guys is that by getting us involved in 18 years in Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, all of these non-nation states that are tribal warfares that do not have the ability to affect us unless we go there, and then there's nothing to do there. There's no ground to be held. There's no, there's no solution to them. They've depleted our resources and our resolve that now a lot of people are leery about any robust foreign policy, aggressive use of statecraft anywhere because they associate that with the so-called neoconservatives. Um, and I think they haven't sworn off the mistakes on those battlegrounds enough. Then you have Trump, but then there's the false choice of Trump now negotiating with the Taliban, bringing them to our shores. The same way I believe that we don't need to be in Afghanistan. This is an immigration problem. Don't go to Afghanistan and then bring in migrants from there. Well, don't bring in the Taliban to negotiate at Camp David on 9-11 either. So that's a false choice. You don't need to do that in order to just drop Afghanistan. There's, no, there's nothing to negotiate with. They're not going to abide by anything anyway. What we need to do is grab our assets. Might take several months so we don't leave them in the field for our enemies to get. Round them up and bring them all to Bagram Air Base. I would maintain Bagram Air Base and enough of a perimeter around it to secure it right that's something our military can do define a landscape and secure it what we can't do is secure a country of 21 tribes that don't like us and and will always fight us and we're gonna you know get hit by all sides of it that never works and and, and history has shown that that's what doesn't work so a, I believe the Taliban don't threaten us unless we're there. They are not Iran. They don't have the wealth. They don't have the statecraft. They don't have a military that can get here. They don't have what Iran has, the Hezbollah network already in our country and um, throughout Latin America. They, Iran has attacked us a number of times. Um, people want to forget that. And when it comes to the Taliban, I mean, again, they're evil people, but they're a reflection of the seventh century dues in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is a backwards place. They had training camps there, but at the end of the day, it was an immigration problem because we brought in the 9-11 hijackers. To me, I would keep our naval assets, keep our air assets, and you strike and maneuver rather than hold and nation build. Strike and maneuver as needed. If you see terrorist elements that we feel are problematic, if you see training camps, strike them. But what is unacceptable is to, is to lose Green Berets every week when we know we cannot look them in the eyes and tell them we have a definitive mission, having them flung out precariously, precariously throughout the entire country, holding together something that's not being held together. So. I'm for pulling out in the way I explained, but I'm not for negotiating with the Taliban. Screw them. 
So Bolton was right about the Taliban. He's right about Trump being weak on Iran and North Korea. But I believe he was wrong about remaining in Afghanistan without giving us a plan of what that looks like, why we're there, and what we're going to accomplish. The problem is that, you know, one other thing with, with, the, with the neoconservatives, what bothers me is that they, I never hear that crowd talking about the Muslim Brotherhood networks here. And I never hear them talking about the immigration problems. And I never hear them talking about the border. And if you claim to be a national security hawk, that you think somehow Afghanistan in this day and age is going to affect us, then by a factor of 100, you need to be talking about this. I have an article out today. You know, yesterday, it's kind of the second half of my 9-11 manifesto. That the problem primarily is not overseas, it's in our country. So yesterday, I talked about more of the immigration side, that we're bringing in too many people from the Middle East. That's, that's the problem. But there's the second half of it that once they're here, and then the ones already here, <clears throat> we have the Muslim Brotherhood Networks, CARE, ICNA, ISNA, MPAC, all these Muslim Brotherhood organizations tied to Hamas, Hezbollah, <clears throat> and even some of the Sunni groups like Shabab and, and, and Al-Qaeda, they are allowed to operate freely on our shores, and they radicalize people. So it's not just that we're bringing in so many migrants. It's that we're bringing them into Muslim communities that are completely controlled by terrorists. The dirty little secret, as I noted in my article today, from the Holy Land Foundation trial 10 years ago, which we should have followed up with and indicted the unindicted co-conspirators, but the Obama DOJ just obviously scuttled that because they agree with them. But what was discovered was a very disquieting revelation that every major Muslim organization in America is tied to terrorism. That is a reality. So, you know, even though it doesn't have to be this way that every Muslim that comes to America is going to get involved in radicalism, and indeed some leave the fold and don't, but if you're going to be a very religious Muslim and you're going to go to the mosque and go to a Muslim private school, this is what you're being fed. They're not run by Zudi Jasser. And, th and that's part of the government's fault because not only did the government allow terrorists to operate networks on our soil, the Muslim Brotherhood is banned in Egypt, the UAE, and Saudi Arabia, but they're not banned in Europe and America. That's what's insane. That's the biggest thing we can do to prevent another 9-11. It's not just that we let them in through our visa system, that's bad enough, but they worked with the pre-existing Muslim Brotherhood networks that facilitated it, that we should have been on to for years because they are the same networks that were already involved in the 93 um, bombing of the World Trade Center, as well as the 1990 assassination of Rabbi Meir Kahana. Same people, same cells. I'm going to link to in show notes, Patrick Poole, friend of mine who's a counterterrorism expert he used to write his columns at pj media now he does more consulting work he wrote a list of 10 people 
that not only were not prosecuted or banished, denaturalized in the case where they were naturalized citizens and deported in the case where they weren't citizens yet, our government indulged them as legitimate Muslim community leaders in out outreach. And these guys, to this day, we still have this going on, where the Pentagon, state, and DHS work with radical Muslim Brotherhood groups as the fox in the hen house. They allow them in, give them security clearances to work on counterterrorism. It's, it's Orwellian. This hasn't changed much since the Obama administration, since the Bush administration. It's another thing. Nobody in the administration has really pushed hard. And I don't know if Bolton did either. And that's the problem with a lot of these neoconservatives. You never hear them. You'll, you'll Google a lot and you'll hear, hear a lot on Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, and then Iran, which I agree with on Iran for the most part, which we'll talk about. But you don't hear much on immigration and you don't hear much on the Muslim Brotherhood. You cannot claim to be a hawk on terrorism, a hawk on 9-11, and now talk about this. So Patrick has a case of 10 of these people. It will blow your mind. Anwar Al-Awlaki, he was one of the earliest casualties of the Hart Seller immigration bill. They came earlier. He was born here in 1971. So he was already born here. To this day, he, he was eventually killed in a drone strike in, in Yemen in, when he moved over there in 2011. To this day, Terrorists are still inspired by him. He was in America operating under in broad daylight. From FBI documents that weren't discovered till 12 years after um, 9-11, thanks to the good work of Judicial Watch, we now know that this man bought tickets for Mohammed Ataf, airline tickets for Ataf and, and two other hijackers that is are believed to have been used in May and June of 2001 for a dry run. This guy, Anwar Al-Awlaki, bought those tickets. Folks, did you know that Anwar Al-Awlaki, this man, was invited to the Pentagon by the military for a luncheon for, quote, community outreach to Muslims as, like, a legitimate player four months after his disciples that he helped flew planes into that building. And you want to talk about, oh, Afghanistan, if we're not in Afghanistan, they're going to attack us? Talk about the problem on our soil. We still haven't rectified this. You know, he mentions, I, I write, and I'm going to link to this in show notes, you should go through all 10. I mentioned two others that Patrick highlights. One of them is this guy, Sheikh Mustafa, Kifa Mustafa. He is listed in the names like a 240 names of unindicted co-conspirators as a fundraiser for Hamas. He was the Holy Land Foundation's Indiana guy, I believe. He was given a tour of O'Hare Airport as part of the FBI Citizens Academy, where they would train like community leaders on counterterrorism. How did he obtain a security clearance? His behavior was known prior to him getting that tour in 2010. Mustafa's behavior was so repugnant that the Illinois State Police 
fired him as a Muslim chaplain. Mustafa filed a lawsuit with the help of CARE, and even the Democrat Attorney General at the time was appalled by him. Attorney General Lisa Madigan filed a motion in federal court in 2013, noting that Mustafa, quote, aided and abetted or at least cheered for terrorism after he was caught on video chanting, quote, terrorist lyrics. After the fact, this guy was, um, he was, he was let in. He was, he was, he was given a security clearance. To this day, the Trump administration hasn't changed. DHS, state, DOD, they work with people like Mustafa that are tied into CARE, ICNA, ISNA, all these organizations. Robert Mueller, who was then FBI director, was asked about the inclusion of this guy in the training camp, and he refused to answer it at the time. And I cut myself off. I didn't finish the story on Anwar al-Awlaki. He was investigated. The FBI was investigating him for 9-11 already two weeks after the attacks prior to inviting him to the luncheon, but he was still invited to this luncheon. And then a number of times in 2002, 2006, 2007, he was investigated, brought in for questioning by the FBI, but unexplicably, mysteriously to this day, we don't have an answer, let go. At some point, eventually we were on to him, he left the country, and we had a kill or capture order, and he was killed in a drone strike on September 30th, 2011 in Yemen. They're not in the foothills of Afghanistan. They were in our country. And they were legitimized by the government. Let me read you just one more. Ali Muhammad. This was a guy who came from the Middle East. He came from Egypt when... Egypt was kicking out Muslim Brotherhood people, and we decided it was a great idea to bring in people that Egypt thought were too radical. He comes here. He was, he was Al-Qaeda's security chief for bin Laden and his guys. While we allowed him in the late 80s and early 90s to work with our special ops on Arabic cultural training at Fort Bragg. What sort of other things did he do? While he was working with the special ops at Fort Bragg, according to Patrick, quote, he was schooling U.S.-based Islamic militants in weapons, explosives, and martial arts, including the cell responsibility, in, 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 in other words, he trained the cell responsible for the 1993 World Trade Center bombing then. This was in the early 90s. He also helped transport bin Laden from Afghanistan to Sudan. He trained the Somali forces who attacked our soldiers in Mogadishu in 93 and Black Hawk Down. He helped arrange the cell responsible for the 98 U.S. embassy bombings in Kenya and Tanzania. And he arranged a U.S. fundraising tour for Ayman al-Zariri, who is a fugitive to this day, the number one, back then the number two al-Qaeda, now he's officially number one. Training with U.S. special forces. Let me tell you something, folks. Let me tell you something. The war on terror primarily is not overseas. It's on our shores. We need not solve the vexing problems of tribal warfare in Afghanistan to secure our homeland. We need to simply open our eyes and not commit suicide on immigration and Muslim Brotherhood networks on our own soil. 
There's a reason why in the manifesto of the Muslim Brotherhood, they talk about sabotaging its miserable house by their hands, meaning they use our own policies against us. This is where the neoconservatives really failed us. They never talk about this. They never focus on this. But again, the people who got Bolton fired sure as hell aren't going to focus it on it either. They're the State Department people doing this stuff. So, you know, that's the problem here. Bolton was better than them. Now, before I get to why Iran is a problem and how we properly pull out of Afghanistan, I just want to mention another homeland threat that I just find amazing. None of the people are talking about the cartels and our, on our border threat. We've deterred enough of the Central Americans through immigration policy. But the border policy is just as broken as it was before. Our border agents are just as handcuffed. Our military is just as handcuffed. And our border is just as open, if not to the mass migration as much as it was a couple months ago, but to the, the particularly bad national security threats more than ever. My buddy who's on the river unit um, in the Rio Grande Valley, he sent me this, this alert. This is a copy of an alert that, he, that the agents got, and I'm going to read it to you. RGV SIU, I guess that's their intelligence unit, received information regarding an officer safety alert in the area of La, La Rosita, Texas, RGC Zone 3. You know, they divide up the different stations into zones. This 10 miles, that 10 miles. This is on our side of the border. Information indicates a narcotics rip crew is currently operating in the area. A rip crew means that one crew takes from the other. It's like intracartel fighting. At the, this time, no information has been received on the subjects or vehicles involved. Multiple loads have been reported. And then they note that additional information indicates that TCOs, the mules, are, are arming themselves to protect their loads from the rip crews. It is possible that agents responding to activity in this area could be mistaken for a rip crew. Agents working the area should identify themselves and ensure they are wearing approved uniform apparel. Agents are reminded to be cognizant of their surroundings while performing Border Patrol operations. It is recommended that all agents wear their ballistic armor, utilize long arms, and if possible, work in groups when responding to illicit activity. Notice it's all a defensive posture. Defensive posturing. Just like I said, in response to them shooting 50 cal fire in Fronton, Texas, the agents said, the, the, the leadership of Border Patrol said, don't go there. How is it that we're talking about Afghanistan or anything overseas, which Iran is legitimate, but we don't need you know, to do what they're doing to, uh, to, to counter them. But how is it that we focus on that? Well, we have our side of the border where it's like, hey, guys, just make sure you apologize to the rip crews. Tell them you're a border agent. You're not there to harm them. This is on our side of the border. How do we allow that? How do we not have the military clearing this out? Clearing the river, clearing the islands in the river. And again, it's not just drugs. You bet your bottom dollar if the cartels have the ability to use their tactics to get in drugs and get our guys out. 
Iran and Hezbollah have found ways to do this too and work with them on that. It's a huge vulnerability. But none of the people that wrap themselves up in 9-11 and terrorism ever talk about this. So this is why a lot of them have lost credibility. But nobody has more credibility on caring about the border, homeland, visas, immigration, existing radical networks in America than I do. And I'm here to tell you that we still do need a strong foreign policy. Because here's the deal. Even if we do everything we're supposed to do, there are aspects, especially when they mix statecraft with military capabilities that eventually could hit us with ICBMs, could hit us militarily, not just through immigration. And also, look, at the end of the day, the same reason why Hitler couldn't be allowed to take over the world, even though he wasn't here, eventually you're going to disrupt the entire commerce and shipping lanes and everything. Iran is doing that. If you are someone who thinks, I think it's legitimate to say this about the Taliban in Afghanistan, but if you think, oh, the Iranians just stop sanctioning them and they'll be nice to us, you are naive. That somehow they're only being belligerent because of us. That's getting the cart before the horse. They are jihadists and they're jihadists mixed with control of a state. And if you allow them to you know, grow economically, at some point, you are going to have to confront them in the Persian Gulf. Which again, I don't think we need to get out of the Middle East. Leave your naval assets. In fact, here's what I would do. Everyone's scared of looking weak pulling out of Afghanistan. But I wouldn't do that in a vacuum. I would pull out and strengthen our Bagram Air Base there, but also strengthen our naval assets throughout the area. I would deter Iran in the Persian Gulf to open up the shipping lanes. I would um, use every tool of statecraft to counter Qatar and Turkey, which is where the money is coming from. The, the mud hut munchkins in Afghanistan, that's not where the money is. Even if they tried to hurt us, they would need Iran, Qatar, or Turkey in some way to help. The money is the issue. I would launch massive operation against the Muslim Brotherhood in America, against the narco-terror finance in America. I would close our border. I would close our visas. I would use the military in the border. That is not being weak, but that's not being advocated by some of the Tucker crowd. That's the problem. This is something you're not going to hear elsewhere. But again, Bolton and some of these guys that are disappointed in Trump and on Iran, and I agree with them, but some of them were the cause of it. Not just because they got us involved in all this stuff, but strategically. One of the big reasons why Trump was handcuffed from taking a more aggressive posture against Iran <clears throat> from all the piracy in the Persian Gulf is because they were scared we'll get hit, our assets in Iraq. But why are we in Iraq? Well, Daniel, we have to fight ISIS. Well, you're helping Iran. We don't need to fight ISIS in the theaters where they're locked in a battle with Iran. We're helping Iran. ISIS would have been their problem. See, I disagreed with that. It's not a matter of being tough on terrorism. You can't say, kill Taliban, kill ISIS, kill this. Well, often it depends on the theater. It depends on the threat. It depends on what they're doing to each other. If you have killer whales, snakes, scorpions, and sharks in a septic tank, what you don't do is jump into the septic tank and try to fight them. You'll, you'll get your head bitten off. And, and there's no purpose to it anyway. 
and you're just tipping the scales to one enemy. In this case, we tipped it to Iran. And now it's what we shouldn't be doing is preventing us from doing what we should be doing. Ironically, it's some of the so-called hawkish mentality that hamstrung us on using the effective soft power of sanctions. Oh, well, now Iran's going to hurt us, so we have to back off. And now Trump is backing off. That's the problem. We need a list of do's and don'ts in the Middle East. It's very simple. But it does take more time to explain than just, just a bumper sticker. So that's what's going on there with Iran. Iran, in many ways, is even worse than North Korea because North Korea, like I always joke around, they want their 70 virgins in this world. You know, they're communists. They don't believe in an afterworld. The Iranians want their 70 virgins in the next world. So, you know, whereas destruction might deter North Korea, the Iranians want to bring about the apocalypse. So you got to make sure they don't get a nuclear weapon. You got to make sure they're deterred um, from their piracy. That's a big problem. And again, because of our laissez-faire immigration and Latin American policies, they're right on our footstep, doorstep, and they're in our country. There's Hezbollah Unit 910, which is in our country. We've known this from a lot of the trials because we've caught a couple of these guys like Ali Karani in New York, where they're surveilling military targets. Um, they're not just terror finance guys. They're actually trained in cloak and dagger techniques. They were training in Lebanese training camps while getting naturalization in America. So again, most of it is about immigration. Most of it is about homeland, the border. But, the, but you, 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 do need, you do need the right alliances, soft power sanctions, and leaving our assets in a defensible position from a position of strength to do strike and maneuver as needed, not nation building. Even that requires more specifics, but the best I could explain that in a few-minute presentation, that is my position. So rather than just criticizing this guy or criticizing that guy and not showing my work, I think too many people criticize on the cheap. Oh, I don't like Bolton, or I don't like Tucker, or I don't like Trump's doing this, or Obama's doing this. Here's You have to, you have to put the whole puzzle together and how you would address everything. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. Turkey and Qatar are funding everything. In other words, Turkey and Qatar are doing what Saudi Arabia used to do pre-MBS. They're funding the subversion on our soil. I believe we need to implement Dave Bratt's old bill. It was called the Fire Act, where we should ban any funding of religion on our soil from countries that um, do not have freedom of religion. It's very simple. You don't have, see, if you're an American, you have a right to fund whatever cause you want unless it you know, could be deemed as, as a, you know, a violation of, of statute of criminal activity. You could fund any mosque you want. But foreign countries don't have a right to fund mosques here. They don't. We could block that. And that's something that needs to be done. These are all things that we don't think about enough. We don't get back to the homeland. We need to threaten Turkey's membership in NATO. We need to threaten pulling out CENCOM from, from, uh, from Qatar. We need to apply maximum pressure to them. We need to do to Qatar what we should have done to uh, Saudi Arabia back in the day. These are all things that directly address the threats 
how they threaten us, and use the proper tools. What is a military issue, preserve your military for what is a military issue and what the military can accomplish. What's a sanction issue, use sanctions. What's another statecraft, carrot and stick, use the carrot and stick. And what's a homeland issue, deal with with the homeland, to, you know, DEA, FBI, prosecutions, deportations when they're foreign nationals, use the military at the border, fix our visa and green card system, cut off, you know, just the funding on our soil. This is what we need to do. Very simple point. I just want to close with one thought on immigration that a lot of people, I think, haven't thought of. Why? Um, two, two thoughts I want to give to you. Why mass migration from the Middle East is the number one way you're going to get future terror attacks, endless cultural subversion that mixes with terrorism, and just all around turning America into what Europe already is. And that is, you know, a lot of people think, oh, Daniel, you're an Islamophobe. You just hate Muslims. So, you know, you don't want immigration, Muslim immigration. And what about there? There's many of many good people that will come and whatever and join us. And what they don't understand is if if you look geopolitically, what's going on in the Middle East and what's going on in America, you're not helping people that could potentially be Zudi Jasser style Muslims, enlightened Muslims. By definition, what's going on now is designed to get us more of the Sharia types. And then, like I said, the first half of the show, once they're here, even if they didn't start off being radicalized, guess who radicalizes them? All the groups that DHS, state, and DOD work with. And the media legitimizes, the culture legitimizes. But a big point that people don't understand is you might think, look, you know, Daniel, the Middle East, I agree with you, it's a horrible place, but we're getting people who yearn to be free and, and they, they want to get away from that and they're going to appreciate America. They love America. That, that's the thought. Here's why it's wrong. Ironically, you know, not all Muslims are bought into Sharia. And this is why immigration is more of a problem now that there's more enlightenment in the Middle East than ever before. I bet many of you haven't thought, thought about this, and I want you to listen carefully. Immigration is actually more of a problem, let's say, from Egypt and Saudi Arabia with more enlightened people like Sisi and MBS now than before. Because ironically, a good number of the people you're going to be getting are the people that are persecuted. It's miserable for them there. Why? Because the Muslim leadership there is persecuting them because of Sharia. They're persecuting, yes, Sissy and MBS are persecuting the Muslim Brotherhood. And you know what? That's a good thing. And then we decide to bring them in because Europe and America are weaker on the Muslim Brotherhood than many Muslim leaders in the Middle East. So particularly the people you're going to get are those people. You know where we saw this very evidently with Saipov? He was the guy who came from Uzbekistan in 2010 on a diversity visa, which we no one talks about ending. 
It amazes me. Trump stopped talking about that. And what amazes me is that um, a lot of people forget the, all the Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. We, we, bring in, we bring them all in on the diversity visa lottery now. They're Muslim countries, but the leadership, they're like throwbacks from the KGB. They're kind of like Soviet types. They're officially Muslim, but for example, in Uzbekistan, you're not even allowed to have a beard. They very strongly repress um, fervent Islam. Who do you think is more likely to immigrate from Uzbekistan and put in their names in the diversity visa lottery? Those that are secularized or those that adhere to Sharia and can't practice it there, but ironically could practice it here. And like I said, we had this in the 70s under Sadat, like we spoke about with Egypt. We, we, we have experience with this. The first wave of Muslim Brotherhood came in because Sadat kicked them out and we decided to scoop them up. We pick up the garbage that the Middle East gets rid of. So don't call me anti-Islam when, when, when we're scooping up the guys that Muslims in the Middle East recognize are a threat that's part of the danger particularly today where i think we've we've come to a point where a good number of of um leaders in the middle east are actually moving in a better direction even jordan uae all the former soviet satellites um even pakistan to a certain extent i mean they're they're repressing this because of ISIS and the strong insurgency. They're they're going after them because they're a threat to their own leadership. That's a prima facie threat. You got to check that out. Why are you coming here? We should at least vet that. It's unimaginable how many of these people we have let in the last ten years or so since the Arab Spring, especially. It's unbelievable how many of these people we've let in. And then connected to this point of how dangerous mass migration from the Middle East now is, again, they're not coming to yearn to be free. They're coming because these Muslim countries are crappy places to live. You know what it's like? It's like someone who stinks up a bathroom and he can't handle it, so he goes elsewhere. Sorry to be crude there, but that's what it is. They want the economic opportunity, whether it's welfare or whether some of them aren't on welfare and they work. They want to they open up a deli, a bodega here. Even the ones not engaged in terrorism. Here's what tends to happen. They're coming because they're desperate economically, not because they love America. Now, because they're desperate economically, they jihad is a younger thing, mainly. They, it's not going to be the parents doing this. What's the lesson we've learned from Europe in the last 10 years of America? It's the children. It's the next generation. They either come when they're young or they're downright born here. Because they feel very disenchanted. Their parents might not have been terrorists, but they don't exactly rear them to salute the flag on July 4th. That is the big question I challenge everyone to deal with. Don't tell me vetting. How are you going to vet that? That's the problem. Let's have the right array of policies. 
I, I would hope after listening to this presentation, you will judge my words based on their own merits. Don't put me into a camp. You're, yeah, Trump, no Trump, yeah, Bolton, no Bolton. It's all false dichotomies. There's a lot of different things, and I think no one has put it all together and has given a consistent, coherent agenda mixing homeland security, immigration, border, foreign policy, and all of its different permutations and military policy, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, what are our strategic threats, what are the proper tools. This is the movement we need. This is the movement I'm going to try to build a third way on on, on on foreign policy that clearly no one has set. Um, we're going to do more shows like this with, with hopefully some guests, the few people that understand this. Send me your comments, concerns, and questions at dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Subscribe to that YouTube page at Conservative Review. Let the best, I know a lot of you don't like YouTube, but the best way to get back at them is by, you know, disseminating this far and wide to 50 of your friends and relatives. Um, go to conservativereview.com. You can see all of my essays and articles, as well as those from Nate Manon, Chris Pandelfo. There is no other website that is holding the vanguard of what it means to be a conservative. Trump is slipping because we don't have a movement dragging him the right way. We have a bunch of conflicting movements. We have a distracted movement. And then you got the same State Department swamp, open borders, pacifists, that we're going to wind up with the worst of all. We're going to continue all the interventions, but we're not going to be tough on the soft power on, on North Korea and I, Iran, which truly do threaten us. We're not going to go after the cartels. We're going to, in the long run, we're going to continue our bad immigration policies, which we basically are. Um, except for the small sliver of immigration that Trump was forced to finally shut down, at least partially. We need to lead this man to paradise or he's just going to follow the existing failed swamp to hell. Thanks for listening. God bless. Till tomorrow. This has been another episode of the Conservative Review Podcast. Conservative Review.